Superfoods. They are the latest dietary craze in our quest for better health and well-being. Yet, many so-called new superfoods are actually ancient, like teff, the unique grain that's native to Ethiopia and is the focus of our conversation today. Teff, as it's called, comes from the Amharic word tafa, which means lost, in reference to the size of the grain, that is, of something so tiny it could easily slide between your fingers and get lost. And I do mean tiny. Think tinier even than a mustard seed. On this episode of Changing Narratives Africa, we take a trip to the vast fields and different kitchen tables of Ethiopia to truly understand this golden gem that's found in abundance within the Horn of Africa. My name is Natalie Sifuma. And I'm Les Mirungu. Welcome to Changing Narratives Africa. Let's do some time travel, shall we? All the way back to about 3,000 years ago when some of the first teff plants are thought to have been discovered growing sporadically around ancient Abyssinia, the land known today as Ethiopia. The plant quickly became popular with Ethiopians once they recognized its dietary benefits and widespread availability. And so they began to intentionally cultivate it. Ah, Natalie, I can only imagine the excitement way back when those first F grains were experimented with. Ethiopians were on the verge of a revolutionary discovery, soon adopting what would become the country's staple food for generations to come and a superfood to many around the world. That's right, Les. And to put this in context, when we talk about Tef being an Ethiopian staple, what we're saying is that over 70 million Ethiopians eat Tef in some form daily. I mean, that tells us how important it is, right? It really does. Tef is just as unique as it is good. And the source of this goodness starts in the vast fields where it's cultivated and thereafter harvested. If you're ever on tour through Ethiopia, the best places to see Tef fields in all their golden glory is the country's central and northern regions which make up the Ethiopian highlands. Although sometimes Tef fields could also be a rich green or a light green and white sea of color. Thanks for that description. Sounds very picturesque. I'm curious to know what's the climate like in these areas? Without getting too technical, let me put it this way. Because Tef is a high elevation crop, it grows best in moderate altitude levels, but it does require approximately 12 hours of sunlight and can do well with minimal rain because it's also a drought-resistant crop. Basically, it relies on a very unique combination of ecological, physical and geographical criteria, not just to exist, but to thrive. What's also fascinating is that Ethiopia is the only country that grows different varieties of teff, over 50 varieties to be exact. And as I'd said earlier, the grains are so tiny that at first glance you might mistake them for rough granules of sand. These facts about teff are perhaps what have made it such a curiosity to scientists and nutritionists around the world. No one knows Tef better than Ethiopians, and so for this reason, we turned to them with our questions about Tef. 
To start, we spoke with Jonas Alemu, founder of Lovegrass Ethiopia, a turf processing and marketing company. Jonas shared that he started Lovegrass to promote the use of turf-based products around the world, but also shared with us how its cultivation in farms is essentially the most fundamental step to its success. If you travel uh, in rural Ethiopia, it is a common feature. You will see farmers plowing their land uh, with, you know, ox plowing in the, the traditional way unchanged for thousands of years, really. So it's it's really ingrained in every Ethiopian mindset, the whole process of uh, farming it and growing it and harvesting it. Because it's so small, you don't dehal it or you don't peel anything of it. So you just turn it into flour, you, you know, ground it into flour. Traditionally, it's a staple in Ethiopia. Uh, the way it's eaten uh, in this flat bread uh, in Jera, there isn't really any other industrial use as such. Well, until now, that is. That's basically the narrative we are trying to change. And outside of this traditional flat bread, uh, fermented bread use, sometimes occasionally it is used for uh, bread, uh, kind of a traditional bread kind of way. But because it's gluten-free, it doesn't quite come out um, as, as a good bread, as better alternatives like wheat and others. That's what it is. So really our our mission is trying to transform this grain, this seed into a global commodity. Jonas has nicely ferried us from the field and into the typical, if not traditional, Ethiopian kitchen. That he has. And he's also told us about injera, the unique fermented flatbread made from teff, which if you've ever had Ethiopian cuisine, you know a meal is never complete without it. It's sort of like a thick, spongy white or brown pancake that forms the base for the rest of the meal. Mmm, injera. I've had it more times than I can count, and it usually comes served with meat or vegetable-based dishes like dorowot or shekla tubes. I'm getting hungry just thinking about these flavor-filled meals. <laughs> and while we're on the topic of reasons to enjoy injera and consider making teff-based products part of your regular diet, we wouldn't be too far out in saying that. Not only is teff highly nutritious, but it's considered safe for those who are gluten intolerant because it's naturally gluten-free. This means that if you have a hankering for pastries, but think you have to sacrifice them because of their wheat content, teff could be an ideal alternative for you. That's true. It's like teff is here to literally save the world. Or at least our guts. <laughs> <laughs> now for those eager to know how teff goes from grass to grain to become the various meals we love. Uh, it's a process that's not very simple, eh? Yeah, to this day, most teff is harvested the traditional way, which is by hand using sickles to cut the stalks, which are then bundled and stacked in bales right there in the field to allow the grains to dry properly. Speaking of teff grains, earlier you'd shared about the many different varieties of teff there are. And yet it hasn't stopped there. Plant breeders are still eager to develop new, improved varieties. Yes, and we actually got to speak to one such expert, Dr. Solomon Chaneleo, who is a senior research scientist with the Ethiopia Institute of Agricultural Research. Ethiopia is, you know, 
the center of origin and also center of diversity for the deaf crop. So that means that uh, you have a lot of wild types and also germplasms in Ethiopia. So we have uh, more than 5,000 germplasms at the hands of the Ethiopian Biodiversity Institute. Uh, so we have uh, these germplasms. Research in Ethiopia started in the early 1940s. So the development of varieties started from uh, that time. Uh, actually, the first variety, variety you know, uh, developed in 1980 or 1984. So these varieties have been uh, developed, you know, using conventional approaches, which is, you know, selection from the farmers' cultivars or germplasms. Later, we engaged in, you know, doing or developing varieties using hybridization. Interesting insights there. Though it's hard to ignore one glaring issue that's been part of TEF's recent past, and that's around the patenting or ownership of the right to TEF. Very true. To get to the root of that, I'm going to take you on a short history lesson. Back to 2003, when a company based in the Netherlands tried to patent the mixing and ripening of TEF flour. In doing our own research, we found that the patent was based on an assumed unique method to measure the constituents of teff flour. The intellectual property rights were then extended, but get this, not by the Ethiopians, to other European countries like the United Kingdom, Austria, Germany, France, and Belgium, which meant no person or organization outside of these countries could produce or sell teff flour or any other teff product. All this in the face of increasing demand. At the heart of all of this was one disturbing truth. What was natively Ethiopian and of high cultural importance to the Ethiopian people was being taken away. And perhaps this was what pushed the Ethiopian government to take legal action on the patent issue, which turned out to be a good move because in 2019, the final ruling from a court in the Netherlands stated that the grounds on which the patent had been set were null and void. <laughs> You might be wondering what's happened since this rightful win for Ethiopians and how the country is working to protect its indigenous knowledge where TEF is concerned. Here are some insights from Dr. Solomon. In order to, you know, to protect our knowledge, our indigenous knowledge, uh, you know, our crops, first we have to uh, investigate and also record whatever we have. Uh, and also we put in place, you know, some regulations, you know, whoever wants us particularly, it's allowed only for uh, Ethiopian students when they go outside of Ethiopia to do their study. They can take with some arrangement, small amount of seed and do their research and whatever is left from the research, they have to get back to Ethiopia or destroy it. So th there are some procedures and control measures now in place to protect our indigenous crops and also uh, knowledge. Now that we've progressed with the story of TEF to the present, I can't help but wonder how else TEF is used, besides as an ingredient for flatbread or whether exports have increased. I was wondering the same thing, and here's what Dr. Solomon had to say about it. We use TEF as, uh, in the form of porridge and in, for, in the form of, we call it uh, kita, or it's also another form of bread. And TEF is also used as uh, local beverage, to make local uh, beverages that we call I mean, arake, 
an alcoholic uh, beverage. By the way, uh, TAF has a very big export opportunity. So it's been exported to uh, the US, to some European countries, and even to Israel, uh, as there are many Ethiopians living in uh, Israel and other countries. Other countries for study and other business purpose, we tend to take with us some TAF injera. It's dried injera. So it's, it's like we are addicted to TAF. We certainly are addicted at this point, in a good way. <laughs> but I'm sure we can't be the only ones who feel this way. So here's a question for you, dear listener. What about all you've learned about TEF? This tiny powerhouse has you ready to go get some TEF immediately. The Changing Narratives Africa podcast is a product of African food change makers. Our production partner is Pauqua Stories. You can join our community of African food change makers through our website that is afchub.org. This episode has been sponsored by Africsim Bank, Seagull Family Foundation, and Africa No Filter.